Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Hey, good morning. How y'all doing? It's good to be here this morning with you at Saving Grace Church. Um, Hey, I just want to go right to the Word of God, and then I want to pray and, and get started. So let's, uh, I'm just going to read, listen, from Matthew 9. This won't be the text I'm preaching from, but I think that it definitely sets the tone when we think about Missions Sunday. Uh, we, we need to see, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and what drove Him was compassion and love. So in verse 36 of chapter 9, it says, When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we, Lord, we come to you through the blood of Christ. We come boldly before the throne of grace that is available to all your children. And Lord, we want to have a heart like you have. We want to see the world like you see the world, and that is you see lost sheep without a shepherd, and yet you are the great and good and mighty shepherd that wants to shepherd and love all sheep. And you do sovereignly so many ways that we don't even see. You're always actively at work within the world. But yet you call people like us, Lord, broken vessels to join in this labor. And so Jesus prayed to you. He, he prayed that you would send out laborers because the harvest is plentiful. And nothing's changed there. The harvest is still just as plentiful now as it always was because there are millions, billions of people without the hope of glory that is to come. And that is you, Jesus. Everyone's greatest problem is that apart from you, they are under the wrath of God. You are the cure. Although I even... I don't even feel good about saying that. You're the delight of the human soul. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and you have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And you call us to join in this work, and what a privilege it is. And so, Lord, I pray that your word, as it goes out, it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It does pierce the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It lays us open, naked, and exposed, and nothing is hidden from your view. But your sword comes to bring healing. It cuts to bring health and life. And so, Lord, may your word today be sharp as it always is. And may it expose the areas of our heart where we're depending on ourselves and not upon you. And may we be transformed by the same grace that saved us. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Joe, thank you for the introduction. Um, listen, it is a joy to be here with you this morning. I am I'm so thrilled to have the opportunity to come and open the Word of God with you all. It's a, it's a joy because first off, I love this church. And I say that because I know the pastors pretty well. And I know some of you, although not as many as I'd like. And what I see from this church is a church that loves the Lord and wants to be about what He's doing in the world. And that's why you devote a Sunday to Mission Sunday. So it's always a joy to gather with brothers and sisters, no matter where we land. Um, 
Listen, a healthy church, uh, you hear a lot of talk about that in the world if you read Christian books. A healthy church must be committed to spreading the name of Jesus Christ and discipling Christians all over the world that leads to church planning movements. Because that's what God's doing. A healthy church must have the desire and want to reach out to every tongue, tribe, and nation to further the kingdom of God. For one day, a great multitude will stand before the throne of the one true God and proclaim salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This great commission is imperative because missions is at the very heart of our God. Jesus was sent. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So this is at the heart of God. And for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, Hebrews teaches us. And as my friend was telling me, or telling all of us as he was giving the announcement this morning, or the greeting, he said it's it's important to remember what John Piper had stated so clearly in the book of Let the Nations Be Glad. He said missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. He then adds that the goal of missions is the gladness of people in the greatness of God. And then he concludes, all of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and His Son among all the peoples of the earth. So let's go to the Word of God today. We're going to be in Psalm 67 for the majority of our time today. And so I'm going to read. I'll give you a moment to open your Bibles, or I'm assuming it'll probably be back here, yeah, and, um, or your electronic Bibles. But follow along as I read and think upon the Word of God, because it is what is the power. Not the preacher, but the Word of God is the power. So listen as I read. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you. O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Church, we should seek and desire God as our greatest blessing. That's point one. Listen, verse one, look at it. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Now listen, before we get this twisted, I'm not talking some weird version of blessings where you've got to send in a seed of faith so that the, the pastor will bless you, brother. It's not what I'm talking about. It's nothing that the Bible knows anything of. That's not what's being directed here. As a matter of fact, that type of blessing that we can see on TV can be shameful and doesn't honor the Lord. But what is He directing? Well, he's directing literally from the Bible. This prayer is a song that reflects the blessings that the priests were to pray when they prayed for Israel in the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. What a beautiful prayer. And I love the second half of verse 1 in Psalm 67 where, where it says this, and make His face to shine upon us. What, what does it mean to have God's face shine upon you? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever just thought, what does it mean? Sadly, many times, I'm, I'm afraid that it's the opposite of what most Christians think when they think about God's face shining upon them. It's the opposite. Many times I think we think that God is somehow looking at us with an angry frown or a disappointed look upon His face when He looks at you. But, but church, blood-bought child of God, that's not the case. He delights in you. And it's, and it's not because we're lovable, but Christ makes us lovable and He brings us into His family. He's not looking at us with disgust or a who cares, indifferent attitude. And you think, well, does that matter? It absolutely matters when it comes to missions. We have to understand this first and foremost. Because to have God's face shine upon us is to look upon us with grace or a smile upon His face. Do you ever think that God looks upon you like that, Christian? Because He does. He absolutely does. The way a good father will look at their children playing in the yard, God looks upon you. Those who are in Christ, listen, you worship a happy God. You worship a happy God. So many times I see Christians, though, their joy is so down low, man, it never boils to their face. It ought not be. You worship a happy God and all your greatest problems, your greatest problem, which is the wrath of God, is gone. He loves you. Do you think of God that way? If not, please, I've been praying all week you would start. Because missions will never be fulfilled through people who go at it primarily with God's trying to win God's approval or trying to escape His disapproval. God is not looking at you with an angry frown. He delights in you because you're in Christ. And that will be fuel that we will need to reach the nations. That will be the grace we need to reach the nations. So church, are we praying for God to bless us? That's a, that's a question we should reflect upon from verse 1. Are we praying for God to bless us? How hopeless would we be if we only received the just judgment that we truly deserve? So we plead for mercy, right? We plead for mercy. That's our only hope. But here's the thing. We must pray that God would bless our work, bless our health, bless our family, bless our church family. The list goes on and on, the things that we should be asking God to bless us with. Yet, no, make, make no mistake about it. The greatest blessing of all is to know and believe the good news of Jesus Christ and to have the Creator and Sustainer of this whole world and whole universe as our Father. That You're greatly blessed if you're in here and you know Him and call Him Father. You have been greatly blessed. And thanks be to Jesus and the work He accomplished upon the cross. When we repent and believe, we're adopted into the family. We go from enemies of God who are under wrath to beloved children whose face He shines upon. You can have everything in this world, all the money, all the things, and yet if you don't have God as your Father, you're not blessed, you're cursed and under wrath. And on the flip side of that, listen, you may not have anything that the world puts value in. 
Not the newest cars, not the, the nicest homes, none of those things. You may not have any of that, but if you have God as your Father, you are greatly blessed. So with all that in mind, church, God has blessed us. What a joy it is to come and just hear that first line from the psalm today. Now the question is why? Well, first off, there's no strings attached with God's love. He loves because He is a God of love. But is it so that we could have our best life now and live as though every day is Friday? It's not. The psalm continues. In short, the answer to that question is no. So let's continue in our text and see why it is that God has greatly blessed His people. We're blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations for God's glory. Let's pick it back up in verse 2. That your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. You know, that word that is a very important word in this text. Matter of fact, it's the most important word in all the psalm because if you lose it, you will lose the main point. The reason we're to seek Him and His blessings is so that, in verse 2, it says God may be known. See it right there? Known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. God will be praised. Look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. That God will be enjoyed. Verse 4. Let all the nations be glad and sing for joy. And lastly, that God would be feared. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. In verse 7. So that God... God blesses us so that He may be known, praised, enjoyed, and feared among all people's groups. God is jealous for His namesake. He is jealous to be worshipped. God will not share His glory with another. There is no one to share it with. Who would He share it with? Me? You? No. We'd make horrible gods. We do make horrible gods. And this is not a foreign concept for the people of Israel. This has been the plan since God's people. Well, we're a people. Listen to what God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. This is a foundational text to understand in missions. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Follow along as I read, please. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When, when God made this point, this promise to Abraham, he had no son. He had no son to speak of. The reference is to the Jewish nation, for sure, yes. Those descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. God greatly blessed Abraham in many ways, including temporal and spiritual uh, ways, so that God would be worshipped throughout the world. Notice in verse 3 of Genesis 12, it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this promise, this promise is fulfilled in the coming of Abraham's seed, Christ. It's through faith. We learn that in Galatians. Look at Galatians 3. 6 and 7. I know we're bouncing around a lot, but I'm trying to lay down a foundation understand that it's always been God's plan to reach nations. 
It's not some new idea that the church just came up with because apparently we got bored doing things on Sunday in America. It was always God's plan. And God's people must be about God's plan. Why? Because it's the greatest plan ever if God has come up with it. And so we wonderfully, joyfully submit and obey. Look at Galatians 3, 6, and 7. It says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. So if you're here and you're in Christ, you're a spiritual Jew. That's exactly what this text is saying. So, listen to verse 2 of Psalm 67 with that in your mind. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God blesses His people so that His way and His saving power goes out to all nations in order that He would be worshipped by every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's exactly what the psalm says. And this this should not be a surprise to anyone, right? I mean, Jesus came to this wretched place we call earth. He put on flesh full of grace and full of truth. He left heaven where He was worshipped 24-7. He had seraphim with six wings. Two they'd cover their eyes with. Two they'd fly with. Two they'd cover their feet with. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy. He leaves that. He lays aside every... I mean, he, He doesn't set aside His divinity, but He certainly sets aside His rights. And He humbles Himself. And He comes to earth to live the life we could never live, to die the death we certainly deserve to die, and to rise triumphantly from the grave. And now he says, now join me in this mission, church. Okay, this sounds like a great plan. Listen, we do not worship a silent God, and therefore we're not to be silent either. Our king has commissioned us to go. In the Old Testament, Israel was much more set up as a come and see, right? So they had the temple. It was the nations would come in to Jerusalem. They would come and see all the splendor of God's people. But the New Testament people are much more built for go and tell. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you if you're in Christ. So go and tell. Just think of the woman at the well. She she gets, well, first off, she gets confronted by Jesus about her husband problem. And then, she doesn't like being in the hot seat of sin, so she says, hey, let's talk about worship. So Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem, but we worship up here on the mountain. And Jesus says there's going to come a time. Listen, the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. There will come a time where it won't matter where you worship. You will be a worshiper. We're go and tell. Oh, church, we're go and tell. Missionary David Livingstone was quoted as saying this, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Think of that. We have been commissioned. Make no mistake about it. So let's look at some New Testament uh, text. John 20, 21, Jesus says this, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Okay. And at His command, listen, at His command, they went north to Galilee, and they, they met Jesus there, and He gave them the model for their mission. Where, you say? Matthew 28, 18-20, where it says, Jesus says, All authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the disciples hear this. Then the disciples return to Jerusalem. And here Jesus gives the disciples the message of their mission, showing them that in the Old Testament how it was to be prophesied. So listen what Luke says in Luke 24, 46-48. Jesus says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Then Jesus comes back to the same theme. He's pretty consistent in his teaching. He gives another, the method of their mission, let's say. Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And lastly, we see the clear declaration of God's will in Mark, chapter 16, verse 15, where it says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Let's make no mistake about it. This is very clear. Church, let's not be so busy doing churchy things that keep us so busy that we never do the one thing that Jesus has asked us to accomplish by his power. He's commanded us to do it. And, and what a joy. What a joy. So many times I, I, I think about missions. I've, I've heard preachers, they, they drive by guilt, and that works for a, a New York minute. But what a joy. What a joy it is to enter into this. This great commission is not a calling for some. It's a mandate for all. That's a quote. Make no mistake, Christian, God never draws sinners into His family except to then send us out. And He sends us out to reach the unreached and the unengaged people of the world because He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy. So we go out into the world to serve and to reach and to love, to to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness as ambassadors for Christ. And, And there's work that has been done. And I thank God for this work that has been done by people in churches who have laid down their lives for the joy and the cost to follow Christ. Pick up your cross. It's an instrument of death. And follow me, he says. And it's a joy. But I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to give you some statistics. I know that's always dangerous in a sermon because many times it's like it's too much information. It's like taking a drink from a fire hydrant that's been cracked open. It rips your face off. You don't remember anything. But I'm praying, I'm praying that you'll get a little bit, and if not, then you'll go and check it out on some websites, and you'll think about what I'm saying here. But I need to give you some, some terms to define some things. So one, uh, people group. Okay, it's a common word used in missions. Uh, quote, a people group is the largest group with which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So think people group, right? So within the world there are 16,500 people groups, give or take probably a bunch. Um, and, and you could probably list them into three categories, or at least we're going to today. One would be engaged. So out of those people groups, uh, 
there's an engaged group where, and what's that mean? It means that it's an engaged group where any evangelical church or mission organization is implementing a church planning strategy among them. So that's engaged. Then we have unreached. Unreached is a people group where uh, unreached is less than 2% of the people or the population is evangelical. Okay? And then last is unengaged. A people group is unengaged when no evangelical church planning strategy is underway. So have no hope of the gospel coming at this time. So, with all those definitions floating in your head, let me give you some more data to fill it up. Uh, in the world right now, there are about approximately 7 billion people, right? Um, out of that, I already said there's 16,500 people groups. So you ready for some numbers? No longer unreached. So these would be considered reached nations or people groups. 4,700 people groups or 3 billion people are considered reached. And we say praise God. Praise God. He has done that through His bride. Thank you, Lord. They have access to the gospel. They have access to a church like America. Right? So America's reached. You're like, no, my neighbor's lost. No, no, but America's considered a reached people group. Now, and there's people groups within this. I'm not going to do That's a rabbit trail that will never end. Engaged yet unreached, right? So here's our next category. Engaged yet unreached. 3,550 people groups, or 3.8 billion people are engaged, yet they're unreached. Lots of obstacles in the way, but there is a gospel presence and a church presence among them. And then last, our last category is unengaged and unreached. Okay, 3,000 people groups, or 200 million people have no access to the gospel. They've never heard the good news that Christ has come to make a way for sinful man and woman to be reconciled to God. They just have never heard it. They've never heard that. Church, this, first of all, it can't be okay for the church. And, and I'm glad to see it's not okay here, right? So that, don't, if you're feeling any guilt, listen, that's not my intention. I'm trying to bring awareness to the situation. Because we don't think like this often. We're generally stuck in our, our daily routine thinking. I know I am. But I want you to think about this. But many times, sometimes... Well, a lot of times I've had this. When we were attempting to reach an unreached, unengaged people group at our church, many times I would hear people give me the lame argument that people here are lost. So why are we sending so much money to try to reach people that are across the world when nobody, well, my neighbor's lost? And I guess at first maybe there could be some sincerity to that. So we, we try to teach that and the why. But as the continued argument would come, I got an answer for you. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, that's oh, so what I was thinking all day. Can we get on to eating pig? I got an answer. You're the answer to the problem of your neighbor being lost. You. Right there. And if you think I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. Mirror, Scott Rising, you are the answer. Listen, we are the best suited person to reach your neighbor. 
You are. Why? You speak their language. You know their culture. You have a place where you dwell. Invite them into it. Give them some meatloaf. Tell them Jesus loves them. You can do this. It's not rocket science. But there are people who cannot hear that good news right now dying and going to hell. So you want to know why we put a push on for missions? Because they have no hope apart from God. And they don't know. They die every day. Since I've started preaching, I can't even imagine the number of people that have died and went to hell. And it's because, well, they haven't heard good news. Because God, He has sheep that have not heard His voice, but when they do, they will follow. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. So we go. Go get them. So go get your neighbors. Bring them on. Tell them to be generous. Tell them to buy the most expensive pork sandwich ever today. And it will be to God's glory if it's done in faith. But what's the driving force? Is it guilt? Nope. Guilt never works. It'll make you feel bad. It'll stir you in your little tummy. But it'll never drive change. It just won't. So what is the motivation? Well, back to the Bible. White-hot worship will be the driving force to reach the nation. Listen, worship is the end result. It is the goal. And it is the fuel for missions. So let's continue through the rest of the psalm. I'm going to read it in its totality. We're going to wrap it up. And we're going to go, well, we're going to sing and we're going to pray and lots of other things and eat bacon. Or, I can't promise that. Pulled pork, I can say that. All right. So verses 3 through 7 says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. What a great and glorious God we worship. I love that it says, let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. Sing for joy. Is Jesus your treasure? That's my question for you right now. Is Jesus your treasure? Don't look to your husband. Don't look to your wife. Don't look to your kids. I'm asking you. Are you glad in Him? Do you sing for joy when you think upon the glorious cross where He redeemed a sinner like you? Do you sing for joy? Are you pleased? I, one of my favorite texts in all the Bible is Matthew 13, 44, where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. What an interesting parable that Jesus is using here. I mean, this is really a wild picture that Jesus just painted. Imagine you're out walking in a field one day and you stumble upon a treasure that is more valuable than anything else you have, could ever have, could work for, or ever save up to buy. And you take a quick look around, make sure nobody's looking. You might check out, make sure there's some no game cams on the cam, you know, because they didn't have that back then, but if you find it now, you gotta you gotta really be looking. They're camoed up. All right. You cover it back up. And you quickly get out of there. You hightail it out of there. And as you go, you go home. 
And you're pretending like you saw nothing. And you go home and you start selling everything you have in order to have enough money to buy the field. Now the whole world thinks you're probably a, you know, a few fries short of a Happy Meal. Because what are you doing? Picture, I mean, everybody's asking you. Imagine it. What are you thinking? Put your name there. And you tell them, I'm buying that field over there. I'm buying the field. Oh, really? And they look at you as if you're from another planet. And they ask, well, why are you selling everything away to purchase or to own that stupid field over there? How do you respond? How do you respond? Well, probably you have a little sly smile about yourself. And you say, I don't know, I got a hunch. Seems like a good deal to me. And you walk away and you continue to sell everything you have with joy. With joy. Don't lose that. Don't lose that from the text. Because you know in the end, nothing is comparative to the reward that you will receive. So with joy, with joy, you sell it all. Why? Because this treasure that you have stumbled upon is worth losing everything for. That's why. Now, of course, he's not talking about, you know, a little treasure in a field. Jesus is talking about himself. Now, is that your experience when you think upon our glorious king? If not, let that hit you. Because, listen, if it's really the Holy Spirit working in your heart, that's a gift. That's grace. That's for forgiveness. And then by his power, change. Because he delights to forgive sinners and to transform him and by, their, by, by his grace, by his power. Let it hit you. We're never going to reach the nations if we're not glad in God. And, and really, God help us if we did. What would we export to them? What would we export to them? Well, if you're not satisfied in Jesus, what would we export to them? Probably dead religion. That would be my guess. I've seen that in countries that are reached. <laughs> They're reached by people who really didn't love the Lord, but they gave them a bunch of religion. And they probably still don't know the Lord. I've seen it with my own eyes. Listen once again as John Piper says it like this. He says, If we are not real and deep and fervent in our worship of God, we will not commend Him among the peoples with genuineness. How can you say to the nations, be glad in God, if you yourselves are not glad in God? That's a great point. See, Jesus alone must be our all-soul-satisfying object of worship. He must be. We must seek to be happy in Him, church. Oh God, make Your face to shine upon us. Help us to see the way You look upon us because of what Christ has done. When the heart of the worshiper is satisfied in God, that will lead to missions. I promise you. You won't be able to help it. It will be like fire that shows up in your bone and you will have to tell. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who go. They go because they've just met the greatest object of worship ever. And they have to tell everyone. And you know it's true. You know it's true. I mean, how many times, what's really on your tongue? What is it that if you ask people, man, this person's really passionate about this, and I'm not beating you up if you're passionate about the Steelers or electronics. Praise God, do it all to the glory of God. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. But, 
would they know that you're passionate about the Lord? Ask yourself that. When we don't participate in world missions, it is not an information problem. (laughs) You know, that's the tendency to come up here and give you a bunch of information. It's never an information problem. It's a worship problem. It's always a worship problem. Listen as I read a quote from a book that I read when I was in Guatemala this year. It says, when a man yearns for the sea, he, his lack of know-how will not keep him landbound for long. He'll figure out the skills necessary to sail. Our problem is not that we haven't found the right problem that enables us to reach the world. Our problem is that we don't yearn to see God's glory spread over the earth enough to build whatever ships are required to reach people for Christ and to see His glory awaken in their hearts. Isn't that true? That's so true. Oh, Christian, when God saved you, He saved you. He blessed you to be a blessing. Jesus calls every follower to be involved in missions and to have God's way and saving power be known among the nations for His glory, for our good and their ultimate joy. Listen, our assignments may be different, no doubt about it, but the mission is the same. And we work together. It, it's been said that there are only three types of people in, when it comes to missions, right? And you've probably heard this before, and if not, well, you hear it now. Goers, senders, and disobedient. That's it. I, I, there's, there are goers. I'm not a goer. I have friends that are goers, and they went. <laughs> I'm a sender. I'm a sender. So I write checks out each month, and I send them the best I can. As a church, we're a sending church. But there was a long time in my life where I was disobedient. I was disobedient. I wasn't actively participating in any of it. And God changed my heart. Well, if that's you today, you don't have to stay there. If you're there, don't stay there. Participate. Pray. So you're like, there's many ways to participate. Well, what are some of those ways? Great question. I'm glad you asked. One, pray. Oh, God, help us to be a church that prays. Pray. Pray for senders. Pray for goers. Pray for the unreached and the unengaged. Listen, go to, if you have a smartphone, you should have Joshua Project on your phone. You're like, what is that? It's the unreached of the day. Every day you will get an unreached, unengaged people group. And it's really cool. They'll tell you all about the people group. They'll show you a map. They'll show you where they're at. They'll give you a text to think and pray about. They'll also then give you what some of the obstacles are to getting the gospel to these people. And you then get to add that into your daily devotions and pray for them. What might it be if you are in heaven one day, and you will be if you're in Christ, and you meet someone, and God somehow says, this person is here because you and your church prayed for them, and I saved them. Because it's all about God. It's all about what He does. I know that. I know that. You know that. You get that. That's why I love your Bible-preaching, teaching pastors, because they teach the Bible. (laughs) You know that. But make no mistake about it, the prayers go up to God, and He is He's not bound to our prayers, but he loves to hear prayers from faithful people. Let's cry out to God to save these people that he knows and that he loves. Change your perspective. I took a class with Joe and some other people. It's called Perspectives. But one way to change your perspective is get out of this area that you're comfortable with. Go on a short-term mission trip. 
there's a whole other world outside of this place. And you're like, well, I'm not in a position to do that. Okay, great. Go meet some people who are from other parts of the country and the world that are here right now at IUP. There are about 900 international students at IUP, many of which who are not saved. You have the gospel. Invite them in your home. Serve them some meatloaf. Tell them Jesus loves them. I'm telling you, it's that easy. It is that easy. So go get to know these people. There are many other ways, and your church pastors will be glad to help you. If, you're, if God's laying upon your heart, how can I serve? How can I do these things? They'd be glad to help you. The deacons, friends, small groups. But engage. Church, let's wrap it up. Listen, I want you to remember the words of Christ when he says this. He says, in the end times, as be, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. You know, there's no more haunting words to a pastor. Really, there, to me, there's not. That, that as this world starts to become a little crazy, and I think if you're watching the news and paying attention, you're like, yeah, we're there. Jesus wasn't concerned that that would happen. He said it would happen. He was saying, I'm concerned that the love of the church will go cold. Don't let our love go cold. I pray, God, don't let my love grow cold. Don't do that. Fight for joy by the grace that God has given you. And Jesus then asks a very startling question when he says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, you couple those two questions together, and it's, a, it's enough to put us on our knees and on our face and to pray. You will know my disciples by how they love one another. Jesus tells us that. Well, we can't say we love the nations if we never give them the one thing that they're all needing. I love justice, right? So there's people that are hurting, suffering, need water. Get them water. But I'm more concerned about their eternal state than their physical state. And yet so many times we sign checks to make sure that they have clean water. And we should, by the way. But we're not as concerned that they have living water. I don't get that. I don't get that. We need your help, God. Listen to Habakkuk 2.14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, that will be, that will be fulfilled. It hasn't yet, but it will be. Jesus is building His church, His bride. He is doing that. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. These things will happen. Don't let what we know cause us to be complacent, though. I want to be a part of the generation that was a faithful generation. I want to be a part of a generation that goes even though we're terrified to go and we don't know how to go. By the way, if you're thinking, how do you even go reach an unreached people group? Well, I can tell you right now, we had no clue, but God laid it on our heart at Harvest and we did go. Now, there's a lot of work that needs done and you guys have participated in that and I'm so thankful. Oh, we, lo we love that you guys are co-laborers with us in this mission. But don't ever forget that this will happen. I want to finish just by reading the Bible. And then I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship our good and glorious God. Will you listen as I read Revelation 5? Because this is how it wraps up. Then I saw in the right hand of him 
who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a Lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And He went and He took the scroll from the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That is how it wraps up. Oh, think upon it. Think upon that moment. Ask God to stir in your heart a fire that cannot be put out. Ask Him to do this work in and through this body of believers. Ask God that He would be so glorified and magnified and mo- to do this. And let the nations be glad because it cannot be glad apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. And that, that worship service that I just read to you, I want to never think that you're all saved here. Although, if you are, praise God, you won't be at unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You'll not be at that service. Only His blood-bought children be at that service. So if you're here and you do not know Christ, oh, I pray today would be the day of salvation. I pray that God would stir within your heart repentance that leads to faith and worship of Jesus Christ. That you would go from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son and that today you would be a worshiper. I pray that and that you would then join in on the mission of what God is doing in and through this world through His broken vessels. We're not equipped for this. You think I'm equipped for this? Hang out with me for 10 minutes. I promise I'll show you I'm not. 
you'll start to really pray really hard for the people I pastor. But that's exactly who God works through. Because through broken clay pots, God's glory shines. Oh, so church, pray, engage, seek the Lord, and for the joy that you will experience because you'll receive more of Him. Let His face shine upon you and go, send, and engage in what God's doing in this world. You join me in prayer. God, we, um, we have no hope apart from you. And yet we have the greatest hope because you're with us. And you tell us that, that nothing can separate us from your love. Oh, what glorious words it is to think upon, Lord. Let this grace give us rest in our soul because it's all done. We are, before you, sinless because of the blood of Christ. We thank you for that. But not, don't let this, this grace then lead to something you never intended it to, which is some kind of complacency where we just say, well, we're all saved. So I'll wait till Jesus returns. Oh God, stir within our heart a passion and a love for you and for the people that you love. And Lord, we know that compassion will be never, it will never be the only component to send us there because compassion alone can't sustain us on the mission field because eventually people will hurt us. And when that happens, many times our compassion grows dim. And we will quit. Lord, let glory drive us. Let your praise drive us. Lord, give us what we need in this day that we may go and tell of all your wonders. And may you be pleased with our worship. Oh God, may you be magnified in everything. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.